Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving has just passed, and the weather has been kind of cold and soggy. Sure appreciate you guys coming this morning. Uh, several of our families are sick and unable to attend today. It's kind of that time of the year. So appreciate you guys uh, braving the weather outside and coming in this morning. Well, go ahead and turn to your Bibles to the book of Luke. That's where we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks on this series called The Messenger and the Messiah. And uh, we started at the very beginning there, just to kind of paraphrase, kind of get a review before we move forward. Uh, We started with the the years of silence, 400 years of silence uh, before the opening of the New Testament here. There was no prophecy from God, no angelic visit from God, but the silence was broken and it was broken boldly by Gabriel, the angel appearing to Zacharias in the holy place as he's preparing to pour the incense on the hot coals and the smoke would go up and the aroma would go up and he would pray for the nation of Israel. As he began to pray, Gabriel appears and says, your prayers have been heard. And then he goes on to tell Zechariah that he would, and Elizabeth, would have the messenger. This was a big deal, of course, because we have the Old Testament. The last prophecies that were in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi said the Messiah would come. But before the Messiah, there would be the messenger. And that this was going to be the messenger. So God announced this to Zechariah. And Zechariah, as we remember, did not believe him. He doubted Gabriel. And Gabriel makes this bold statement. It's almost like, you don't know who I am. I am Gabriel. I have come from the presence of God. I've given you this message and you've doubted me. You've doubted God. Therefore, you will not speak until your child is born. So he receives a curse. He does not speak. But uh, his wife does conceive. And it was a big deal because he was very old, the Bible says, and his wife was advanced in years. So it was a not a supernatural virgin birth, but it was indeed a supernatural birth uh, where God allowed something to be that naturally could not be. We find that same uh, type scenario with someone else in the Old Testament. If you remember, who would that be? Uh, Abraham and Sarah, right? That that God allowed them to have have Isaac, even though they naturally could not. So here we see a couple that's extremely, uh, they're way beyond their years, and everyone is aware of that. It makes it uh, a supernatural, um, amazing, a miracle, a sign from God that something special is being done. Uh, As we progress through the book of Luke, last week we looked at Gabriel also appearing to Mary, and Jesus' birth is foretold in chapter 1, verse 26. And announces to her that she is going to have a special child, not just any child, but that this child will be God, God in the flesh. Unlike any human that has ever been born, there will not be an earthly father and uh, he will be of the line of David. We looked at that a little bit. We'll look at that again today. It keeps coming up. He must be from the lineage, from the line of David. And then we looked at that the, the visit, the wonderful visit of Elizabeth. Uh, already having John, the messenger, we call him John the Baptist, within her, and, and Mary coming to visit Elizabeth, right? And this, this unique, bizarre setting that the moment they walk into the same room, it appears like that, that John jumped within Elizabeth to be in the presence of the Messiah. And, and, in the, and there is Mary, here is the Messiah, here is Elizabeth, here is the messenger. They're coming into the same room together. And the Holy Spirit moves and Elizabeth begins to speak about her Lord who is there in Mary's womb. Just a beautiful, beautiful scene that takes place there. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, Luke chapter 1. Let's look over at verse 57 today. Verse 57. 
And I'm just going to read through the first portion of the story here, the birth of John the Baptist. I'll read from 57 to 66, then we'll go back and look at this in a little bit more detail. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives <coughs> heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. All right, so there we have the story, the narrative of what is going on. Let's go back and look at it just in a little bit of detail here this morning. Uh, Look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. This should be no surprise, right? Gabriel told Zechariah that he would... They would have a son, and their son would be named John. So we see this, you might call that prophecy, or the angel speaking about a future event, and this event coming true. God knows the future perfectly. It does not change. So a messenger from God can easily give that kind of a message to Zechariah. So we see the fulfillment of that here. He is going to be a son. Look at this next passage. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child that would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. Now this was unusual because there was no connection to the family that, that the, word, the name John should stand out. So people assumed that it, they would choose a relative, a family member to possibly name their son after. But even though Zechariah could not speak, he could communicate with his wife to some way. So we see that he had a writing tablet Odds are it's not an iPad, all right, but a writing tablet, some kind of slate, some kind of uh, device there where he was able to write messages. He conveyed this to his wife that the son's name would be John. But look at verse 61, what happens. Um, And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Now this is another, again, we want to emphasize that the the messenger's birth, it, it is lots of supernatural signs all around John the Baptist's birth, which is extremely important because there were no miracles all these years. There was no prophecy from God. But now, miracles, if we, we look back at the Greek word, it, it means sign. And literally, it means a sign. And, and these are signs. What are they signs from? They're signs from God. Anytime God moves supernaturally and, and departs from the natural way, the order of things working here, it is a supernatural sign. You might think of it as a big arrow sign. And all arrows now are pointing at this time in history to this couple to the one that is being born. 
He is fulfilling prophecy. Gabriel has come. The womb has been opened. Uh, Zechariah receives the curse. Now this curse is lifted. This is supernatural, all right? We can't operate like this. This is definitely God that is doing these things. In fact, it was so evident that this was God, that it wasn't just something that they mustered up, a story they created, or something naturally that could be done. It was so supernatural natural beyond our natural state of doing things that fear comes upon them look at that and and uh, immediately his mouth was open his tongue loosed and spoke blessing god but this fear comes over them look at verse 65 i mean the, yes they're excited yes there's wonderful joy that this child is to be born but there was this divine sense of the divine sense of god's hand being so present so prevalent there with them so supernatural was this birth that fear comes on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of judea verse 66 and they all wondered uh, they and all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the lord was with him so they had this overall arching Fear, not not a horrification, not like a scary movie, not like a monster or anything, but this divine sense of God being present, God being there, God directing everything that was going on. It was an extreme respect and acknowledgement of the supernatural. So we have here people beginning to wonder. They're taking note. There had been no, no mention from God 400 years and now supernatural, 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 supernatural. And people began to think, what kind of child? Who is this going to be? And Zachariah and Elizabeth know. Mary knows as well. He is going to be the messenger. But now look what happens. All right, Zachariah has not spoken for nine months. And one of my favorite portions of scripture as we study this one of my favorites is the elizabeth and mary coming together in the same room and this just extremely unique situation happens where the messenger's there the messiah's there they're not yet born yet but here's another unique situation where it's, it is supernatural and just and just neat to imagine but uh verse 63 as we look back at it that zachariah could not speak for nine months he asked for a writing tablet he writes his name is John. And the moment he writes the last letter, apparently, to John's name, his mouth is loosed. His tongue is loosed. And he begins to speak. It's been nine months, apparently, since he has spoken one word. But the moment he writes on his tablet, John, and ends the last letter, he is loosed and he begins to speak. But he doesn't complain about not speaking for the last nine months. What does he do? He opens his mouth, filled with the Holy Spirit here, we find out. And he speaks about the Messiah. And he speaks about the messenger. Now, we remember, uh, as we get into this, this prophecy and this, these statements about Zechariah that he is about to make, it's also interesting to look back. Now, if you study biblical names, uh, some of them have great meaning, and it's, it's really interesting to look at some biblical names. And here we have three that we're going to look at today that, that indeed fit their meaning. Their name fits their meaning. So we have John. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago when Gabriel said his name would be John, speaking of the messenger that is about to be born. 
which simply means God is gracious. This is pure grace coming from heaven. He is sending the messenger. God is gracious. We have John being born through Zechariah. Zechariah's name, name means God has remembered. And just really neat as we look at this, we see that, of course, God does not forget anything. He has perfect knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. He never loses memories like we do, especially like I do. But it doesn't mean that God remembered, that he forgot, then he remembered. But it just means that these things are now fully coming true. God has remembered. What has he remembered? All the prophecies of old. The Messiah coming, the messenger coming, salvation of mankind provided by God, through God. This is now being fulfilled through Zechariah. The messenger is coming. And then, of course, we're going to get to, we got to Jesus' name last week. We looked in Matthew where his name literally means God saves. So very important names as we look at this. God is gracious, John. God is remembered, Zechariah. And, of course, Jesus, God saves. All right, so Zechariah has now... His mouth has been open, and he begins to speak. He does not complain about not being able to speak. Instead, he uh, is filled with the Holy Spirit, we see, and he begins to prophesy. Now, prophecy was a, a special, special way that God would speak. We've looked at this also because there's so much prophecy coming true here, but God would speak supernaturally uh, using a human instrument inspired by the Holy Spirit. They would speak. And this message would be prophetic. It could tell future events. It could, whatever God chose to do through this person, through this individual. Here, Zechariah's mouth is loosed and he begins to speak for the first time in nine months. So look at verse 68, if you don't mind. Verse 68. And let's see what Zechariah says. Nine months since his tongue could not, could not speak at all. He had been cursed. Uh, he could not speak. He doubted Zachari- doubted God. He doubted Gabriel. And now he begins to speak. So let's see what he says. And this prophecy is really neat because even though it's his son that has just been born, John, the messenger, has just been born, what does he begin to speak about? Does he acknowledge his son? If you've you had children, you know, I mean, their son or daughter is born, and, and that's the centerpiece of the conversation at that moment. The son has been delivered, or your daughter was delivered, and the centerpiece is that. But instead, Zechariah doesn't immediately talk about the son that was just born. Who does he talk about? He talks about the Messiah that is coming. Because even greater than the messenger is, of course, who? It is the Messiah. It is the Savior. Yes, the messenger is important. Yes, John is important. Of course, Zechariah and Elizabeth are having a son when they could not have a son. But even more importantly than the messenger is the Messiah. And and, and even uh, John later emphasizes this, that he must become greater. I must become less. And even here at his birth, we see the same thing taking place from his dad. His dad is emphasizing, yes, the messenger is great, but the Messiah is, of course, even greater. So he opens up his mouth. And he begins to speak of this great salvation. Let's see what he says. Luke chapter 1. And again, we find ourselves in uh, verse 68. We'll begin. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, we'll pause right there. There's a lot of heavy statements in here. And I'm going to try at least to, to get, get to some of them this morning. But, but even this one statement here is indeed huge. For he has visited and redeemed his people. Again, the silence has been broken. 
God has visited. He has sent Gabriel. All these supernatural events. But also here we have the word redeem. This is, this is a huge term. It is, it's packed with theological significance and importance, even for us as Christians today, to know what this is talking about. But it does have to do with redemption, to buy something, to purchase something back. And here we see that God, he is speaking as God is redeeming his people. And that the one being born the, soon, the Messiah, that the messenger is pointing to, in him is going to lie redemption. That God is going to buy us back for himself. To buy us back, children of God, to himself. So this is huge. I mean, what, what kind of monetary unit could we give to God to say, God, I'm giving you this amount of what? How could we save ourselves, right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We sin daily. We sin with our thoughts. We sin with our actions. We sin with the things that we do, with the things that we say. So what can we give God? Can we say, God, I'm going to stop sinning now, and I'm going to give you the rest of my life from now. I'm not going to sin anymore. Of course, that is not possible. But could you give that to God and say, okay, God, save me now? No, we have nothing. There's nothing we can give him. We can't say, God, what about, what about if I do this or I'd stop this bad habit, stop this bad habit, then I'm going to give you that, then you, I can be saved. We have nothing. So in other words, we don't have the monetary unit. There's no unit of payment that we can buy our salvation with. No amount of money. Jesus labors that point as well, talking to the rich man, letting, letting him know that, that it doesn't matter if you gain the whole world, right? But you lose your soul, then what was it all worth? There's no money. There's nothing we can do to buy ourselves back. What do we need? We need salvation. We need salvation, not coming from within, but we need it God downward. And this is the gospel message that God is sending his Savior and that in him is the purchase. It is the price that has to be paid for our sins that we owe God righteousness. We owe him holiness. We've broken God's law. God says you're in debt and you can't get out of that debt. Some of us are in debt, maybe $100, $1,000, whatever your total indebtedness is, maybe 10000 whatever it is, and you think, well, I can eventually get out of this. But, but our sin debt is, imagine being in debt billions and billions and trillions and trillions and trillions and never being able to get out of it, ever. It's impossible. And that's our sin indebtedness to God. It is impossible for us to get out of debt. No matter what we do, we can't save ourselves, but God himself can redeem us. And we see this. Uh, Zechariah announces that this is going to be the redemption. God is going to buy his people back. How does he do this? Well, we kind of fast forward. Uh, we're blessed to have the completed word of God, not just these immediate prophecies of Zechariah, but we can actually connect the dots now because Christ has come. He has lived. He has died. And now we have the remaining pages behind this prophecy. So we look at, and I have them on the screen today. If you'd like to look at them, you can. We look at passages like Galatians 3. Verse 13 through 14, and it says this, Christ, the one Zechariah is speaking about here. Remember, Christ is another word for Messiah. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we look at this, look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us. How can God buy his people back? By sending the Savior, who is not only God, 
but is also man who lives a perfect sinless life and represents us perfectly. So in this transaction, when we believe in this gospel message, when our, our faith is in Jesus Christ, that he receives our sins on him on the cross, he gives us his righteousness. He becomes the curse for us. So our curse is lifted. It is gone. We are bought back. We are now God's possession. And there's so much rest in this, knowing that our salvation is not up to us to maintain, to keep, to hold on. But, but God has done this. God has paid the price. We don't even have anything to offer. There's nothing in our pockets. Total white when we pull them out as far as God, for this reason, save me. I'm going to redeem myself today. You can't, but God supplies it. He buys us to himself. Uh, Why we're there, look at Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, and now we kind of see Paul summarizing what we're looking at here in Luke and also summarizing the completeness of uh, the Messiah's life. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That's you and I, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we have this beautiful statement here of Paul. Saying that, that, yes, God sent forth his son. He is deity. He is God. He is born of a woman uh, under the law. But he obeys that law perfectly. Jesus does. And he's able to redeem us back who are under the law. And not just to buy us as some kind of subpar uh, group. But actually, we are adopted by God, the creator of everything. Think about that for a moment and your mind will be blown. That the one who spoke and created the universe, who created the world, has adopted you. He, and you are his heir. And that you are his. And you get the benefits of being a permanent child of God. He doesn't ever put you away or, or you can't ever stop being his child. But you are forever his child. And this is redemption. How can God do such a thing? Zechariah announces it here. That it's going to be through the Messiah. That's why the, it's so important as we as believers, we as Christians... Look at the word of God as we come here on Sundays, as we preach the word of God to always keep our sermons, keep our messages, keep our times of discipleship, keep everything we do to keep our thoughts as believers throughout the week. Christ centered because our salvation is all in the Messiah, whether we are redeemed or not, whether we are a child of God or not, whether we are, are adopted or not, whether our, we are an object of God's curse or our curse has been removed, all involves the Messiah. The, the Christ. And so we continually study the Christ to, to remind our brains what we know and what God's word says. That is through Christ we are saved. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He has paid the price that I cannot contribute to at all. So he is our redemption. Let's move on down. Zechariah continues to talk about this Messiah, this salvation that is coming. Verse 69, he says, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Now, with this, this is a, a prophetic fulfillment, this verse 69 of a passage over in the book of Psalm. I'm just going to read it to you today. Psalm 132, 17 says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. 
All right, so here we see the same use of that vernacular, the same use of those words here, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. Uh, here, Zechariah is opening up his mouth. The Holy Spirit is inspiring, uh, speaking through him. And we have the words of the Old Testament coming out of his mouth here, that this prophecy that was spoken about, the Messiah would come from the line, from the lineage, genealogy of David, is now being fulfilled. That Verse 69, God has raised up a horn of salvation. This horn of salvation, not something we use today in common language, but it means strength. He is brought, bringing forth power. And not just strength and power, just for the strength and power's sake, but it is for salvation. And here again in this verse 69, we see this occurring almost like a broken record. Uh, we've, we've looked at it at least three times already in the last couple of weeks here. But again, he is from the house of David. Why is that continually emphasized? Why is that so important that the Messiah has to be from the line of David? And we've looked at it time and time again, but the Messiah had to fulfill exact requirements. If the Messiah, if someone came and said, hey, I'm the Messiah and I'm going to save you, but he was not from the genetic line of David, could he be the Messiah? No, obviously not. God had given these prerequisites we call them prophecies okay that that the messiah had to fulfill the messiah would fulfill and so here we see continually being announced that the messiah is from the house of david so he is fulfilling this he is the one that was prophesied about even when we see uh, especially the jewish people being witnessed to in the bible we looked at this several uh, months ago but romans chapter 1 I'll read to you to, just for a few moments here as, a, as Paul summarizes the good news, as he summarizes the gospel message. What is the gospel message? You know, if you're asked, hey, what is the gospel? You as a Christian say you believe the gospel. What is it? We looked at this a while back that that, that message is set and it has ingredients to it. And was, as Paul was witnessing to the Jews, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 1, I'll re- begin reading. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, then begins to tell about it, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David. It is so important to Paul as he's presenting this message to to the people that he puts it here, that in the gospel message, it's so important that Jesus is from the line of David. Let me just put this in the gospel Because I want you guys to know that he is the one, the Messiah, that was prophesied about that would come from the line of David. So this is continually, continually, uh, Zechariah here is announcing, talking about. And it's interesting as well to note that the the announcer, the messenger, is John that's just being born. But it's it's really neat here how God moves through the messenger's father even. As the father begins to announce the Messiah that is coming. So here, let's continue on in verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Again, here, Zechariah is letting us know that this is not a made up story, that this is the continuation of everything that was back here. This is the fulfillment of it. What the prophets said would happen is now coming true as well. Also, this we see that we'll be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us. In an immediate sense, we see that a lot of the people 
had a wrong idea about Jesus and who he was, even his disciples, right? They argued about who would reign with him, and they wanted him to reign right there in this geographical location and be the king right there, and they really limited God. I mean, they limited the scope and the size of his, and the time limit of his, his reign. I mean, this is not just a man that is going to be king as David was. This is God. This is the God-man, and that he is coming to save us from all of our enemies and from all who hate us. And it is a beautiful thing as a Christian to know that there will be people who, who hate us, but in, people are continually martyred around the world every day. But what is the worst that someone could do to you as a believer? What is the worst that could be done? You know, we do mourn for those who are martyred, who lose their lives to represent Christ indeed. But, but as, if you really think about it, that's, that's only the beginning of eternity for that Christian. I was reading a theologian I like to read this week, and he said the best part of the Christian experience is death. And I thought about it, wow, that's pretty amazing to think about. The best part about the Christian experience is death. Why would he say that? Because that's when you receive everything. That is the moment you're in the presence of God. That's when you are made perfect. That's when you are fully made present, glorified in the presence of God at his, at his right hand or joys forevermore. The book of Psalms says there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no suffering. You're in the presence of God. So, so the worst thing that could happen to us and, and the Christians there, and eventually they would face much persecution, even death, uh, we're saved from that because Christ has saved us from our sins. He has saved us from facing judgment. He has saved us from the wrath of our sins. And he has also given us the ability, as we are believers, the Holy Spirit is inside of us to, to overcome sin, to, to, to resist temptations. Um, we, we see this beautiful picture here that, that he is going to redeem us. He is going to save us also from our enemies. And it's not just a physical enemy, but it is this, this super deliverance that we don't fear facing the judgment of God because we are adopted by him, because we are his children. We have been saved from the greatest enemies mankind faces. What is the greatest enemy that mankind has ever faced on earth? You know, you think of uh, Mussolini or you think of Hitler, you think of some of these great tyrants of old, but that's nothing compared to death. That's nothing compared to sin. That's nothing compared to facing the wrath of God. But yet we as Christians are going to be redeemed for God, as children of God, and we don't worry about those enemies any longer. So it's a beautiful thing. Uh, verse 72, let's continue on on Zechariah's prophecy. Uh, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Uh, here we have this, this covenant that God has made. He's made multiple covenants with those that he has chosen in the Old Testament. Uh, the one that seems to be thought about here is with Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham that it would be through his seed that the salvation would come, that, that people would be saved. And indeed, we see this covenant coming true here. Uh, we look at this, pro- this part of the passage again. Look at verse 74. Uh, that we might serve him now without fear. This is, this is also just, just an amazing thing for those people in that time to think about. You had the, the priest, and no one else could come to the actual uh, temple itself. 
and no one had access to the temple itself, and only once a year could a priest, you know, the high priest, go through the veil and go into the Holy of Holies. And there, there was this constant, you know, fear of serving God and, 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 and being near God. And, and yet now something radically is changing. Something is, through what he's announcing here, this covenant that is being fulfilled. Now look at verse 74, that we might serve him without fear. And this is, this is something that I think many of us struggle with daily, weekly, uh, cyclically, is this, is this fear of God. And it's, as a believer, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then that fear we have is not, it's not correct. It is an incorrect fear, that that fear should not be there, that we should live, that we should serve, that we should live this life that God has blessed us with without fear from God. We don't fear him. But we have a healthy respect, of course, but we don't fear him that what? That he is going to judge us for our sin or perhaps cast us into hell or anything like this. Why? Because we have been redeemed, because we are adopted, because we are his children. The price has been paid for our sin. Jesus was the curse. Our curse has been removed. So we are full children of God. So we live and serve him without fear. We don't fear death. We'll be in the presence of God. We don't fear that we will somehow not make it into the presence of God. If our faith and our belief is in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, then that's it. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about what he did to save us. So God saves us. So we live without fear, to serve him without fear. Uh, as I was studying this, I thought of Romans eight thirty-one through 39. And I'm just going to read this section. If you have your Bibles uh, handy there, you can feel free to turn to it. It's quite a few passages. And if you have not highlighted this in your Bible, I encourage you to do so right now. Uh, Romans eight thirty-one through 39 is great for us to constantly remember that truly there is no fear for a believer. Romans eight thirty-one is where I'm going to begin. Of course, the whole chapter is excellent, but I'm just going to read this portion. We serve him without fear, but we struggle with this. Uh, the people here at Paul is dealing with, even struggle with this, and he has to remind them. Verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God? Who, it is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or even the sword? Again, he's saying here, we are loved by God. There's nothing that we should fear. Uh, pain, distress, persecution, negative danger, even sword, even death. There is nothing that will separate us from God. Now, he continues on, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is beautiful, right? This is extreme peace. I wrote down a child of God 
should find increasing rest, peace, satisfaction, and joy in being saved from God by God. You are now a permanent object of his love, and love drives out fear. That's what Zechariah is announcing here. We can live, we can serve with this with somewhat of easy breathing that we, we are living without fear because someone has removed our sin. Someone has taken the curse. We have been redeemed. We are now children of God. He has bestowed upon us love and it is an eternal love that even death, even with the sword, there is no fear. We'll be immediately present in the Lord, uh, with the Lord. All right, continue on. Uh, next, Zechariah says, in holiness and righteous before him, all of our days. Uh, yes, as a believer, we are called upon to live a holy life. We should constantly examine our lives. I love Jonathan Edwards, who at the end of each day looked back at his life, analyzed his thoughts, analyzed his time to see if he was living as holy as he could. And every day, of course, he was not, as we are not. And he would repent. He would confess that sin before God to pursue more holiness the next day. We are called to engage in that activity, to pursue holiness, to put away sin. But also, we live uh, in the position of holiness as far as our status before God is holiness. Because that curse has been removed. Romans 3, uh, verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 22. Highlight it, circle it, put exclamation points around it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is also what Zechariah is speaking here in verse 75 of Luke 1. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is who we are. Look at verse 3, 22 in Romans again. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is, this is the gospel. This is the good news that is so beautiful. We know that our position before God is not based on me and my record, but is based on Christ's perfect record. He sinned zero. He fulfilled God's law perfectly and that we get that righteousness. That is the record that we get. Who gets that? Not all humanity, of course, but it is those who believe. So this is what Zechariah is speaking here. We are righteous. We are holy before him all of our days and will be throughout eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this is what we rest in. We rest in knowing that our sins have been paid for by Christ. We receive the righteousness of Christ himself. Let's continue on. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. We see here Zechariah's uh, statements uh, make a change. So John is born right there. Uh, John is, John is, he's written, his name is, is to be John. It's his eighth day of being born. The celebration is all around the, the baby being there. Zechariah, though, speaks about the Messiah first. But now Zechariah speaks about the messenger. So now he turns his attention to the child. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Again, using the same wording that we find in the Old Testament, that we find in Isaiah, that we find in Malachi, that we find Gabriel announcing earlier in chapter 1 that this is the one, the one that would come before the Messiah to make the people ready. Um, 
What was the, oh, verse 77? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. What would John's purpose be as the messenger? We've looked at this earlier that John's purpose is going to be to announce that they are a sinner, that they have gone against God, they have broken his rules, they've broken his commandments, and they need salvation. And then the Savior, the Messiah, comes. So this is John's message. We find uh, when he appears on the scene in Mark that he appears on the scene and begins to immediately teach and tell everyone that they have sinned against a holy God and they deserve his wrath. And there's this awareness that comes across the people as they acknowledge that they are indeed sinners. Uh, Our culture rails against this. If we call anyone a sinner, call any lifestyle, call any uh, anything that God says a sin, a sin today, it is it is considered small-minded, right? Narrow-minded. Oh, who are you to call that a sin? Who are you to call that wrong? And we as Christians have to constantly realize that that's going to happen to us. But we don't make the rules up. This is the rule book. God who created us gave us the rule book. He gave us the laws. So it's not us just saying, oh, you shouldn't do that. And I think you shouldn't do this. And maybe you shouldn't do that either. But it's it's referring back to God's word. So he establishes the rules. Let's continue on to verse 78 here. Uh, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the Son shall visit us from on high. Uh, Salvation, again, is always God downward. And that's what we have here. It It is mercy. Salvation from God is based on mercy, not works. Merit or any type of deservedness found within us. Think about that for a moment. Let me reread it. Salvation from God is always based on mercy, not works, merit, or any type of deservedness found within us. Mercy belongs with grace-based salvation, and merit belongs with works-based salvation. Proud people often still think they can earn the salvation of God or contribute in some degree. You know, God did... 40% 40% and I did 60% or God did this percent and I did this percent uh, here in verse 78 and throughout the Bible we see that if we receive salvation it's pure mercy it is pure grace that God does not look and say oh this person helped more old ladies across the street than this person over here right damn that person deserves to be it is pure mercy we're all in one big lot sinners who have fallen short of the glory of god and we need god to save us here we find mercy is coming down god is providing salvation where is he providing this salvation it's about to be in a manger he is sending the one that mercy will come to for us uh verse 79 we'll continue on to the end of this uh this prophecy as zechariah speaks to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The peace that the Jews would pray about virtually every day. Every time they would pray, peace was so prevalent. They wanted peace. They desired peace. Shalom. And here was the ultimate peace, that we will have peace with our Creator. We will have peace with God. We will no longer be an object of his wrath because we've sinned against God. No longer an object of a curse from God. But now we will receive full pardon, full forgiveness, full peace, true peace, everlasting peace, eternal peace with God. How do we get it? Through those who believe in this one that is coming, Christ, the Messiah. So as we look over this passage today, the prophesied messenger of the messiah has now been born 
And this is a huge, huge time in history where all the supernatural signs, the miracles begin to happen based around John and based around the Messiah. Even here we see Zechariah announcing the Messiah and how important he is going to be. Salvation will rest in him and will rest in him alone. So we look at messages like this, which is basically I'm going through the story of the Bible. And what do you do with it? Well, I hope you increase in, in your, your understanding of who God is and your understanding of, of the, the whole book. We see it all coming to this head, the fulfillment, the messenger, the Messiah, the Christ has redeemed. He's come to redeem. And it's those who believe in him whose sins are forgiven, who are rescued, who are saved, who are a child of God, who have been redeemed. How? Through the one that is about to be born, through the Messiah. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for letting us open your word up and just, just bask in it. Just feed on your word this morning. It is so rich. It is so nourishing to our soul. We thank you for the time that we have together uh, every Sunday, together, together as believers to worship you, to think on you, and to hear your word. And God, we pray that uh, if there is sin in our life, that we would be like the Jonathan Edwards example, who would seek forgiveness, seek and confess and repent every day of the sin that's in our life. And may we always know that our sins are forgiven, that we, we fight this battle against our sin from a winning position, that our sins have been covered, they have been paid for, we have been redeemed. May we understand that we're not an object of your wrath. We have received peace, a permanent peace. We have been redeemed by this Messiah, by Christ. All who believe in him shall be rescued, shall be saved. And we thank you that we have been redeemed to be children of God. Help us to serve you without fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship, please.